This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale, Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Joan McKeon of Gilderland. She had an awakening as she mowed her lawn, a job she hated. It smelled bad, it was noisy, and the little creatures would run for their lives, she said. The less lawn she mowed, the more native plants grew. They would bloom and then they'd be covered with bees, she said. In her garden, she came to realize she was pulling out native plants to make room for alien plants. She says nurturing nature with native plants is something everyone can do. Our readers will be familiar with her because she has written several very insightful letters, all related to improving the environment. So welcome, Joan. And just could you tell us how you became interested, or how you became an environmentalist, I guess is the best way to phrase the question. Well, um, uh, for the last 40 years, I've been living out uh, basically in the woods in Greenville. And um, so I was right there on the front line of nature and um, it was really, and um, I lived there for for like thirty years. Um, and then uh, a neighbor, somebody moved in that I was downwind of, and they started a um, outdoor wood boiler. And he burned it year round because he heated his water in the summer. And so from the moment he started that. Um, I never knew if I would be able to go outside without breathing that, that horrible smell. And, and then I started thinking, well, maybe it's more than just a horrible smell. And I started reading about it and I found out how poisonous it is. And I thought, well, if I could just tell people how poisonous it is, they would go, oh, well, we have to stop that. We didn't know that. But uh, I haven't really had too much luck with that. And um, I think it's because all of the the, admin, the administrative officials, they all have, have wood stoves at home or something. So um, they're not too keen on doing anything about wood burning, but it's, uh, it's you know, it's, a, it's filthy and toxic. And, and in, in, uh, I put up a sign in Greenville to try to, and, you know, get some of my neighbors interested in stopping it. And a couple of men came forward, but they were afraid to, to go up against this neighbor. So basically he had the neighborhood kind of bullied. And um, so um, it, that that's the kind of thing that wood smoke is. It can be, you know, there's a, for every guy burning wood, there's a couple of people in their house with all the windows closed trying to not smell it. But they don't seem to have any rights. It's only the people that are burning the wood that have all the rights. So that's when I kind of, you know, became disenchanted with the DEC. Well, any change is hard. And I do think there's a cultural aspect to that, too. I mean, wood burning is such a long-term way that people heated their homes that it, it takes kind of a sea change and an awakening to alert people to those changes. And especially now with the 
inflation of prices of oil and people have a ready resource in the country, in the rural areas to to do that. But your interests are so much wider than that. I know you've written us letters about lawns <laughs> and about plants, and I'm hoping that'll be the focus of our conversation today. Um, yes. Because you're a member of the Gilderland Garden Club, and I can see behind you on the wall is a plaque that says garden. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you're going to be making a presentation in May. And those listeners who are gardeners are very well aware that now is the time of year people are planning their gardens and thinking about what will happen when life rejoins us. So just tell us, first of all, a little about the Gilderland Garden Club. Well, um, I joined them when I moved here. I've only lived in Gilderland uh, since last March. And I joined them hoping I would find some people who would um, who would help me to spread the word about native gardening and, uh, you know, the destructive nature of lawns and, and a good group of women. And they do um, they do a lot of um they do a lot of work that raises money for, for different causes that, you know, worthwhile causes. And um, they get together as kind of social too. And, and they have different uh, talks on different aspects of gardening. So that's and you been mentioned fun. a good group of women, but I know at least one man <laughs> because well, there's one man, there's one man. <laughs> yeah, has, has, you know, been very active in sending us things. But yes, really, yes. anyone can enjoy, join, right? It's not a gender specific. No, group. no, it's just it's mostly women. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Women as nurturers, I guess. Women as mm. people. Well, who, the, the men have a garden club. Oh, they have their own. And and they eventually started letting women in. I but see. I think it's still dominated by the men. So the men are kind of in, in the that one. Oh, so. isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, so tell us a little about your own yard. Um, you've only lived in Gilderland a short while, so your yard is relatively new to you. You probably don't have everything set the way you'd like, but just... What does it look like and what directions are you moving in there? Well, I'll, I'll start by telling you about my old yard. Which oh, good. Was this is Greenville. in Greenville. Okay. The The soil was so fertile out there. And um, somebody else for a long time was mowing the lawn. But when all of a sudden it became my job, I hated it because it smelled bad. It was noisy and the little creatures would run for their lives. And so eventually I mowed less and less lawn. And then I started noticing um, little colonies of plants would, would, would grow up and then they would bloom and then they'd be covered with bees. And uh, I started I started looking around and then I found the iNaturalist app on my phone so, so that I could find out what they were. I started, started uh, learning about the different plants and there were so many natives out there because that was never a cornfield or anything, it was never plowed. So all you had to do was just not mow it and you had a yard full of beautiful natives, which it took me a while to figure that out, but that's how I got interested in it. And also like I'd be, I'd be, uh, I, I would have flower beds full of plants that I'd gotten from the garden center from other parts of the world. And uh, in between them would be all these pesky little 
things that would hop, pop up and they would be doing so much better than what I planted. And then I started realizing, I started, when I started learning what they were, it's like, well, these things I'm pulling out to make room for my, uh, my alien plants. These are things you can eat. Um, you know, the whole foraging um, movement has come about beca because of natives, because a lot of natives, you can eat the leaves, you can eat the, you know, the different parts of the grasses. And um, so that's, you know, that's a that's a whole nother thing. And, and medicinal herbs, when you start finding out about these plants, you find out that they cure a lot of illnesses and always have. Oh, I just think that's a fascinating description that you're buying these plants you're calling aliens, putting them in the ground, and they're not doing as well as what you call the pesky, the pesky natives who people are pulling out as weeds. And then you had this kind of sea change of thinking where you realize those are the plants that should be here and encourage the bees, the other pollinators, the native wildlife, and now you're focused on that. Right. That's great. So fast forward, you've moved to Gilderland, and what's happening in your yard there? Well, um, when I got to Gilderland, um, I, I was looking forward to, to I, I bought a place with a lot of sun, and I was looking forward to growing a lot of sun-loving plants that the pollinators love because most most flowers aren't really producing nectar unless they're in full sun. Uh, like on a cloudy day, you don't see any butterflies because there's no nectar available. So I, I, I picked a sunny spot, but then I uh, slowly came to realize it's a, also a sandy spot and it's also a very alkaline spot. And, uh, and the soil is depleted of nitrogen. So it's been a real learning experience here. And uh, walking around the neighborhood, um, there's everybody, uh, most everybody has like the, the, um, the usual big lawn with a couple of say uh, barberries or um, a couple of bushes up against the house and then this huge empty lawn. And um, lawns, uh, it, it, you have to, I, I've come to a new aesthetic and I think other people need to come to a new aesthetic about what you should do with your yard. And um, instead of having just a lawn, which is a wasteland and does nothing for any any living creature and a couple of bushes from, you know, from another continent, um, you have to think of your lawn as a, what you plant in there. You you can feed nature. You can feed the wildlife. And um, the thing the problem is that the, the, the insects are disappearing, the birds are disappearing, and it's because a, a lot of it has to do with with you know pesticides and herbicides and and fungicides and artificial fertilizers that people put on lawns and fields. And a lot of it has to do with development, climate change. There's a lot of reasons. But the one thing that you can do if you have a lawn is you can put things in your lawn that will feed wildlife and um, and and bring nature back into your yard. Doug Tallamy uh, is one of the spokespeople for for um, for native plants. And his idea is that if everybody that had a lawn could even 
take a portion of that lawn and put it back into native plants. It would be a homegrown national park that would be bigger than all of the national parks put together. That's how much land is being wasted on lawns. And uh, you walk around and you see you see these huge expanses of dried up kind of brown lawn and and only a couple of trees around, you know, and um, like there's a keystone trees and plants and they're like the most essential and and they nurture the most forms of wildlife like the uh the oak tree uh there's 445 kinds of butterflies that use that as a host plant so you know you can you can i've got a lot of oaks in in my backyard here um, I've planted uh, I planted another oak, but then I realized how many oak trees I had, so I started planting other things. Um, but there's something everybody can do. Everybody can make a contribution to wildlife, and and it, to me, uh, it's so much fun. Uh, one of my favorite things is I'm in a a, a meetup group, and uh, we have this very knowledgeable man who takes us out into these beautiful wild places that, you know, a lot of them are in Clifton Park that I never would have gone to. And we go out there and, and uh, we'll be, he'll be looking for a specific plant, like a great blue lobelia. And we'll walk around and then there it'll be. And it's just nature. It's just, you know, it's just growing there all without any, you know, human intervention. And it's just amazing to see these things. And we went to, we walked by the Mohawk River and there were um, a whole bunch of columbine hanging on the cliff, right, you know, right alongside the river there. Just wild and also a dog tooth violets. There was a whole big area under some under some trees in the shade where where this where was just masses of this. I'd, I'd seen a few of them in my yard, but I never saw like a whole big, huge, almost field of them. It was gorgeous and so inspiring and beautiful. And, um, you know, I can't believe that people aren't doing everything they can do to try to bring, you know, to make that kind of thing happen instead of instead of going the other way. Everybody's like preventing it from happening. Yeah, well, you mentioned Doug Tallamy, and his books are wonderful, and he has a website where you can go online and log in your own yard if you're trying to do what you're doing. And his idea is people will see this and and the movement will grow. But right now for Albany County, I looked it up. There are just very, very few people that are participating in that in that sort of initiative. But um if we could just back up a little to hear about you mentioned how for time of memorial, the plants have been used for food, plants have been used for medicine. Can you just give us some examples of some plants either that you have experience with planting in your own yard or that are readily available? Our listeners might be able to to purchase some that have, have benefits you know, that would certainly outweigh that manicured lawn that, that so many people strive for. Well, there, there's several places to get natives, really. Um, some of the, the local garden centers are slowly starting to get some natives. Um, but online, there are tons of places that you can go. If you Google native plants, uh, of, of like native plants of New York, uh, you will find all kinds of websites. Uh, the uh, New York State DEC has lists of them, um, and and tells you about where how to where to put them. 
you know, you have to, when you, when you plant anything, but especially natives, you have to realize, does it want sandy soil or does it want loam? Does it want infertile or fertile? Um, does it need a lot of moisture or can it take a, a drought? So I've been uh, picking plants that I, that I think that can take a drought because with their weather changing the way it is, I think that the natives have a much better chance of survival and adapting um, to what's coming and, and to be able to, to, to survive and continue to feed wildlife with berries and seeds and nuts. So, uh, but there's, uh, there's also the uh, Exerces Society, which is the Butterfly Society, and they have lists of things about if you want to, if you want to get a certain kind of butterfly in your yard, if you, you see a butterfly and you want to encourage it, and if it's a local, if it is a local butterfly, you can get the host plant, which is the plant that the uh, butterfly lays its eggs on, and some of them will only lay their eggs on on a couple of host plants, like the everybody knows about the monarch, it'll only grow lay its eggs on milkweed. There's several different kinds of milkweed, though. Um, and uh, I planted some little milkweed. I, I've only been here a short while, so I don't really have anything much to show yet. I'm really looking forward to the spring to see what's there. But I had some little orange milkweed, um, and uh, they were only like. Eight, eight inches tall, and each one of them had a big fat monarch caterpillar on it. It was the most amazing thing to see. Um, so, um, let's see, what else were you asking me? Um, um, oh, I was oh. wondering about some of the plants you might describe for our listeners that you can eat I, or that you can use for medicinal purposes. Well, um, I've just recently gotten into those issues. Um, I've been more about uh, the plants themselves and, and trying to recreate a little bit of nature. And um, th those subjects are very available online. Um, I, I wish I knew more about them, but um, I, I saw, you know, I've watched some um, some of the YouTubes about it. And, and there was a grass that um, it just looked like, you know, a bunch of thick grass, but if you pulled out a blade, down by the very uh, bottom of it, where it where it goes into the ground, there is a very tender little green part that you can eat, and and you can eat. There's a lot of leaves off trees that you can eat when they're green, and um, and then there's of course the berries and the nuts and uh, things like that. So uh, there's a lot of information available on that. I'm not an expert on that subject. Um, and medicinal, um, you, there's, there's things you can rub on poison ivy and there's, there's uh, you know, like a lot of the herb teas, uh, they're calming and soothing and um, or stimulating. You know, there's just a, a lot of information available there. Yeah, um, well, it's great um, how the technology can help us get back to nature. You've mentioned several times these online yes. lists and yes. the town of Gilderland where you live, as you probably are well aware, at the end of last year, the end of 2022, adopted a forestry law. It's not yet up and running because they have to appoint a committee to kind of develop a plan for the public lands and along the right of ways. But eventually, I think they're hoping to have a list specific to Gilderland, um, you know, on the website, because as you mentioned in your yard, there's just a lot of sandy soil and, um, you know, 
a specific topography that might not encourage the growth of every kind of plant. But um, I'd love to hear if you, you're preparing this presentation now for the Garden Club, and if you could kind of just tell us about some of the high points, because we're planning on having it posted to our website so that people can click if, if they're listening to you and hear about some of the things that you want to share. Right. Well, um, one of the things on there, one of the, uh, I, I try to make the point, the, uh, the need for this, the need for everyone to do this because of the, uh, you know, the extinction of insects and birds. And um, so I've tried to really uh, stress the need for this. And uh, some people are confused uh, because they, they start, uh, I, I wrote quite a bit about cultivars. And uh, a lot of people are confused by cultivars and, and they'll go to the uh, they'll go to the garden center and, you know, get a get a plant thinking it's a native because it has the, the species and the genus name. But they don't notice that it also has the cultivar name, which is in quotes. And um, it's uh, like um, I'm going to interrupt you here to unpack that. <laughs> For us, what is a cultivar? Before you go on to tell us more about it, what what is okay, that? Okay, well, a cultivar is uh, <clears throat> is somebody who likes to mess around with uh, plants and genes and things. Will take a native plant, and they'll decide they want to make the leaves redder, or they want to make the plant taller, or shorter, or straighter, or uh, change it in some way. And um, it always has a cute name. It always has a name like uh, like you know, I, I can't even think of a name like honey bear or something, some cute little name that's in quotes. And that's how you know it's a cultivar. Uh, if it has three names and the last one is, is a cutesy little name, uh, that's a cultivar. And the problem with cultivars is that they, they're similar to natives and, and they can crossbreed with natives and, and change the native and make the native become extinct. And also um, once you change a leaf, make it red, the um, the caterpillars, some of them don't like the taste anymore. It changes the taste. So if you have a yard full of cultivars, uh, you don't have a yard full of natives. And some people say, well, some cultivars are better and, uh, than natives, but um, I try to stick pretty much with the natives. And cultivars can do good things, I guess, like they're bringing back some of the trees that have been decimated by insect populations that have come in because of the warming and changing of, of the climate. So, um, but uh, beware of cultivars. And, and on the podcast, I go into that in, in quite a bit of detail, a uh, listing of like, there's like 10 different kinds of amelanchier, uh, uh, which is a Juneberry. Uh, there's probably 15 different cultivars of that plant, but they're, they're changed. They've been altered by human hands and they're not the same anymore. So I just want to warn people about that. And also um, uh, the idea of, I, I had a, uh, I had a spice bush uh, Lindira, and it, it, it got to be huge, uh, you know, in Greenville, because I planted a lot of trees and things. They were, they were there for quite a while. 
and it was a beautiful tree, but it never, it bloomed, it bloomed, but it never made any fruit. I didn't even know it had fruit until recently. And it's like, well, why doesn't it have fruit? And I realized that you have to have two or three of these so that they can cross pollinate each other or you won't have any fruit. So then I got some, I got some uh, other ones, uh, which I planted right before I left. So I hope, I hope that works out. I hope they're still there. Um, but that was an interesting thing to find out. You have to learn that. Do you need one or do you need three or four before you plant something if you want berries and fruit? That is a good lesson. I did the yeah. same thing with apple trees in our yard from my husband's favorite kind of antique apple tree, but with just one, <laughs> you're out of luck. So um, our time is just going so fast and there were so many things I wanted to ask you about, but... Um, what haven't we touched on that you think is really important? One thing I'd just like to hear is a, a little bit about you, because you seem to have this, I don't know if it's a talent or an inborn trait, to just dig in and do research and learn. I mean, what what is your background? What, what, what made you that way? Well, I think, uh, I think I've always been curious about things. And I feel like, you know, in the old days, uh, you'd be curious about something, you'd, th you'd wonder about something, I wonder about this. But, you know, there was no way to really find out unless you happen to know somebody that knew the answer. But now you can find out everything, or at least a version of it. Um, uh, so um, if you get curious about something, you can find out about it. And um, I... I don't know what made me that way, but uh, my father was in the Navy when I grew up and uh, we moved um, about every two years. And so we were always moving to different places. And um, the first in I had a little I have a picture of me with a handful of radishes when I was in the first grade. And, and that was my first gardening attempt. And then I really didn't get another another real good opportunity until I moved out to Greenville. So I've always been kind of like, you know, a gardener in, in repose. Because um, <laughs> you lived in more urban areas. Is that the idea? Yeah. Uh, and we were only in places a short while. It wasn't where you felt like you wanted to plant a tree because you knew you were only going to be there a couple of years. And, and my parents did some did some planting of trees. But that was more like landscaping type thing. My father liked to go. He had a big garden. Uh, when he bought a farm in Ohio, he had a big garden out there, but I was always just coming and going there. I was in school and I studied art um, in school. Well, that's interesting. Some, so does that play into your design of your yard, you know, this artistic background? Well, I think in a way, I think it did, because uh, when I was in school um, and just, you know, in my earlier life, I did a lot of pictures and I still have a lot of pictures. Uh, my, I have a whole room upstairs full of art. Are these and, photographs, uh, that kind uh, of picture? Lots of different things, lots of different things. Or painting or? Yeah, well, um, different collages. Um, I, uh, I, I like to, I started doing, um, photo collages and uh, including a lot of the plants from my garden and stuff, photos of them. But I would, I would try to make you think that this was real. I like to like create something that would kind of trick you into thinking it was real. 
Uh, that like Tromtoy of- kind of art, you know? Like what? <laughs> Maybe I'm not saying it right. I think it's French. Trump, T-R-O-M-P-E, oh, well, D apostrophe, like, O-E-I-L, you know, like fool the eye. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, no, um, I don't know. It's hard to describe. Um, Art is hard to describe. <laughs> you have to yeah, see it. But it is yeah, interesting. Your background is an artist. I wouldn't have, I would have thought you would have said something like research scientist. <laughs> I don't know. Just Well, the way that I think the thing about art was because I had so much art, you know, so many pictures that I have to move around every time I go, you know, somewhere. I started thinking, well, you know, uh, what's something that doesn't require a lot of materials and moving stuff around. So, so I, uh, I, I started getting into music and I was writing some songs and, and, um, and, you know, just enjoying that. And that didn't, there was nothing to carry around, maybe a little folder of papers and, uh, and gardening is, is something where you don't actually have a, 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 you know, a material object that you have to deal with. So that's, you know, that's what I liked about that. And, um, but yet you leave behind the material because you mentioned like you're wondering how back in Greenville these things you planted are doing. So you've created something physical and real. It's just not with you and carried from place to place. So. Yeah, I don't have to take it with me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I put I put a lot of plants out there and I, I do wonder how, how they are doing. You um, haven't been back to visit? Well, I went back to try to save a few things and um, they'd cut down some things uh, that I had planted, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago that were in their way for some reason. And um, so I don't know what they left. I hate to even I don't even want to go out there. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's hard because you. Yeah. I'm sure you develop a relationship with these things that you've nurtured and to have them. Right. Well, you know, I had, people say, well, how did you leave there? You know, with all that. And it was partially because of the of the um, the wood smoke, but um, I, I feel like um, I feel like I'm just grateful that I had that opportunity because a lot of people don't ever get to really see that and live that. Yeah. So I mean, there were you know owls, and I was sitting at my computer one day at my looking out my backyard and a porcupine waddled by <laughs> and uh, just tons of birds and butterflies. Uh, you know, it, I've seen like maybe three kinds of butterflies here in Greenville, but out there I had probably 10 different kinds of butterflies. And that's what got me interested in butterflies and what their host plant was. And I started, you know, planting those things and, and, uh, and just letting things grow and, and learning about them. Well, thank you for sharing some, a little slice of what you've learned. And we look forward to posting your PowerPoint. And Mm. when we get closer to May, we'll run a notice in the paper so people can come to the Garden Club. But do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Um, Well, just uh, the idea of the new aesthetic, changing your idea about what a good looking yard is. And thinking of it as like a, a, a place for nature, uh, you know, letting the weeds, weeds are good. They're not bad. And um, it, it just changing your mind about what a yard should be, what what function it should serve and and what it should look like. That, that's a big one. Um, and um, 
just realizing that, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, the climate's changing. It's all so big and out of my hands. And what can I do? Well, this is something everybody can do if you have a little piece of lawn is you can stop letting you can, you know, don't let it be lawn anymore, but let it serve nature and contribute to, you know, to the beautiful creatures. And then you start seeing them and learning about them and the insects, the kids will love seeing all of this, the flowers and the bugs and the butterflies, and it'll all come back um, if you just do the right thing. Oh, thank you. I love, I love that philosophy, you know, that an individual can make a difference in this huge problem by just tending to your own yard in a way that's natural. Tending to your own garden. Yes. Right. <laughs> thank it's you. It's all in your own backyard. 